Amen. James chapter 1, as we think about what really matters in life. Let me ask you today, how many of you need the wisdom of God in life? I'd raise both hands in my life because I just need the wisdom of God. Let me just give you some examples. If you're looking to buy a house, you need the wisdom of God because you need to know what neighborhood to buy in so you're going to be safe, but also what neighborhood to buy in so you can minister to your neighbors. You need the wisdom of God to do that. If you're looking for a mate in life, you need the wisdom of God. I pray you wouldn't just go solely on how someone looks because looks have a way of changing. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. How many of you ever stood in front of the mirror and say, who in the world are you? What happened? Just you just need the wisdom of God in life. You're raising kids, you need the wisdom of God because as you lead your family, there are going to be times you're going to say yes, there are going to be times you're going to say wait, but there are also going to be times you're going to say no, you need the wisdom of God to be able to do that. Many of you are thinking about changing careers or jobs, and they say you need the wisdom of God to be able to do that because this you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side. And then if you're looking to retire, you need the wisdom of God because you're thinking through, what am I going to do with my time in retirement? What is my purpose going to be? Financially, are we going to be able to continue to live a decent lifestyle? You need the wisdom of God in all those areas of life. Now, I want to give you a little insight here. What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? I've got a stack of books here, and, and I like books. But the truth of the matter is I could read every one of these books and know everything about them but still not be wise. The difference in knowledge and wisdom is you know something, but wisdom is you put it into practice. Now, let me give you an example of that. For example, if I'm driving down the interstate, the speed limit says 70. Uh, knowledge says it's 70. Wisdom says I need to drive at least 70, maybe even a little less. How many people have been visited by a law enforcement officer because you knew the knowledge but the wisdom just got away from you happens all the time I know two dates in my life that are very important January the 12th and July the 5th I know those dates, knowledge is there Angie's birthday and our wedding anniversary but, but I, even though I've got the knowledge wisdom says when it comes to January 12th or July the 5th I need to do something on those days, that's wisdom right there same is true in your life. We're right in the midst of reading through the Bible this year. Uh, you can have a lot of knowledge about God's Word and still not be wise because you can know the Word of God, but wisdom says, here's what God's Word says, and then I need to live it out. I need to do it. That is wisdom. So the enemy does not want you and me to have the wisdom of God in life. Uh, no facts, but what are we going to do with it? How are we going to obey it, put it into practice? You're going to find at times you know certain things, but then wisdom is going to keep you from certain things. I was preaching a funeral one day in northern Kentucky. Uh, this funeral was in the funeral chapel, small room. And so I'm standing before the family. We'd done some beautiful music as requested by the family. And then I was preaching the gospel, comforting the family in the funeral service. And there was a gentleman sitting on the front row over to my left, over in this section here. As I'm preaching, comforting the family and sharing the gospel, his mobile phone starts ringing. 
is the loud ring as well. So it's not quiet, it's loud. He's digging in his pockets, so I'm trying to watch him as he's doing this. So he digs in his pocket. Everyone else is watching him as well. Finally, he pulls his phone out, sitting on the front row of this funeral, and he says, hello. He answered it. Knowledge. I had some thoughts in my mind that I wanted to speak at that moment. But praise the God that, that wisdom kicked in and said, don't you say what you're thinking right now. The difference between knowledge and wisdom. What really matters in life? Big question. What really matters in life? Here's what I've discovered in pastoral ministry. When you are ministering to someone on his or her deathbed, in many ways you're going to discover what really matters in life. Because when you get to that place in life, you start peeling back the layers of life. And then you finally discover what really matters in life to that person. And here's what I've discovered time and time again. You come to a point, this person doesn't have long to live. You're at the side of his or her bed, family members around. And you're discovering what really matters in life. And then all of a sudden, here's what happens. Money, success, accolades really don't mean anything at that point. But here's what matters. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Spending time with loved ones and friends. And knowing that in your life you fulfilled the purpose of God for your life. That when you stand before him, you're going to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what matters in life. But here's the question I've got for us. Why can't we get that? I mean, we know that. But why can't we have wisdom to put that into practice? Because we chase money and success and accolades. But then we come to the end of life realizing that really didn't matter, but these things mattered. Why can't we get that? I brought a story I I read some time ago, and I just want to read it because I want his words to be very clear. Lee Atwater, Lee Atwater served as campaign manager for George Bush in the 1988 United States presidential campaign. He was a great success by the standards of the world, but he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he began to reflect upon his life in terms that spoke to earlier what really mattered in life. And here's what Lee Atwater said after discovering he had brain cancer. He said this, and I quote, the 80s were about acquiring, acquiring wealth, power, and prestige. Not much different than today. He said, I know, I acquired more wealth, power, and prestige than most, but you can acquire all you want and still feel empty. I wonder how many people would say the same thing today. You, you've got wealth, you've got power, you've got prestige, but there's still emptiness, a void in your life that those things simply aren't filling because that's not what really matters in life. Atwater continued, he said, but you know, you can acquire all that you want still feel empty. And notice these next two sentences. What power wouldn't I trade for a little more time with my family? He'd give that stuff up for a little more time with loved ones, family. What price wouldn't I pay for an evening with my friends? What really matters in life? It took a deadly illness to put me eye to eye with that truth. What really matters in life? Now on the outline, I want you to fill in a few blanks here. What causes us to discover what really matters in life? 
Number one, chronic frustrations. There are people in this room, there are people who are watching. You're tired in life. You feel like your life's on a treadmill and you simply can't get off. And you're looking at your life and you're saying, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. Chronic frustrations at times will open our eyes to put us in a position to finally discover what really matters in life. Number two, personal tragedy. How many times have I seen this in life, in my own life, but also serving in pastoral ministry? Sometimes it takes a personal tragedy to open our eyes to what really matters in life. Let me give you some examples. You sit before a doctor, and the doctor says to the words to you, you have cancer. Changes your life. All of a sudden, you start discovering what really matters in life. You get a phone call one day or a knock on the door, and a loved one of yours suddenly passes away without any notice, all of a sudden the death of a loved one changes your life, helps you understand what really matters in life. You go into the office on a Monday. Your supervisor asks to meet with you. You go into his or her office. You sit down, and the supervisor says to you, Friday is going to be your last day. We're eliminating your position, and your job has ended. It opened your eyes. You finally discovered what really mattered in life. And how many people did not see it coming at all, but there was an accident in life? You define the accident. As a result of that accident, changed that person's life, opened his or her eyes to say, this is what really matters in life. Happens all the time. What is it going to take for you and for me to discover what really matters in life? Number three, healthy encouragement. You've got other people in your life who love God, who are very faithful to God's word and who love you, they'll speak into your life and they're going to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone and live by faith and not by sight, be obedient to God. They're speaking into your life so that you can discover what really matters in life. Now, let me give you a little word of caution. You don't have to listen to everyone because there are some people in life who are going to tell you what you need to do in life and they don't even know what to do in life. Listen to people who love God who have a firm grasp of God's word, who love you and who want to see you in the center of God's will, healthy encouragement helps you see what really matters in life. And then number four, Almighty God. There are certain things only God can do. And God at times will show you and me to say, you need to discover there's more to life than what you're currently experiencing. And here's how God often works kids, students, adults. He'll do this with all ages. He will literally move in our lives in such a way that he turns our lives upside down for his glory, his leadership, his purpose in our lives. Why? Because he doesn't want us to go years upon years not knowing what really matters in life. He wants you and me to know what really matters in life and he will turn our lives upside down so that we can know that. Let me give you a couple of words. I encourage you to write these down from God's word. How do you discover wisdom? What does it mean? The difference, again, between knowledge and wisdom. I can know everything about these books, but what does it mean? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following. Here's the difference between knowledge and wisdom from God's Word. Matthew 7, verse 24, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine, there's knowledge. There's a beautiful description of knowledge right there. But he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that's wisdom. 
So you know what God says, but then you do them. That's wisdom. He says what? He will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But then Jesus came with this contrast. And what does he say after that? And then he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine, again, there's knowledge, and does not do them, a lack of wisdom, says what? Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So let me ask you today in the room and those who are watching, from the perspective of God, do you consider yourself wise or foolish? What really matters in life is wisdom, and what matters in life is wisdom saying, God, I know this, but I'm going to do this based upon what your word teaches. That's wisdom. That's building your life on the rock, not on the sand. Are you wise or foolish in the eyes of God? Let me encourage you to write this one down, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. How do you get wisdom here? I would say this. I've met some of the, the, the people in life who didn't have any degrees in life. I mean, many, some of them didn't even graduate high school. Definitely didn't graduate college or advanced degrees beyond that. But some of these individuals I met are some of the wisest individuals I've ever met in life. Why? Because they just knew the mind of God. They knew his heart. They knew his word. And they lived it out. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, a verse you want to memorize and put down. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not books. The fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear him? doesn't mean to be afraid of him. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're going to be wise, then you need to realize, God, how awesome you are. God, I stand in awe of you. God, I reverence your name. God, I exalt you. That's the beginning of wisdom. Not just getting degrees and reading books and knowing information. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, Almighty God, I fear you. I reverence you. I stand in awe of you. God, we exalt you as individuals, as a church. We exalt you. That's the beginning of wisdom. What really matters in life? Now, look at these truths with me. Back to James chapter 1. Number 1, decide differently. If you're going to be wise in the eyes of God, you've got to make different decisions in your life. Because again, we're all going to make decisions in life. For example, whom am I going to marry? You're going to make that decision. What am I going to do after college? You're going to make that decision. How are we going to handle finances? You'll make that decision. How do we survive trials, temptations, struggles in life? How do we do that? You need the wisdom of God to be able to do that. Because we all are going to make decisions about how do you decide differently. Look at this text in James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you, but let me pause there. He's writing to believers. So he's got an audience in mind, but it also applies to you and me today. If any of you, any of you in this room, including my own life, any of you who are watching online, if any of you, that includes you and that includes me, if any of you lacks wisdom, the word lacks just simply means shortage. If any of you are short, we live in a day right now, this COVID world, where are shortages of everything. Some of the most bizarre things you can't get in life. You say, Angie tells me, I don't go to the grocery store, but she does. But if you go to the grocery store, many of those shelves are empty because you can't get certain things. There's a supply issue. And so he's saying, James is, if any of you, that's you and me, if you lack something, you're short on something. Any of you lacks wisdom. The Greek word there, wisdom, is the word Sophia. So if your name is Sophia, it means wisdom. 
It's a great name, by the way. So if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And so when you think about this, I want to give you two truths here about that. Number one, God's generosity. Because he says in this passage, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. As you and I think about this message, what really matters in life, is our Heavenly Father generous or stingy? Well, the good news today, he is generous. He's not stingy. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Church, that screams the generosity of God to you and me. That he loves us so much that he gave his only Son to die on a cross and to give his life for you and me. Paul, writing to a group of believers in Philippi, said, My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is the generosity of God to you and me. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, think, or imagine. That is the generosity of God on display to us. And then we come to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you, you, me, we lack, we're short of wisdom, Sophia, the wisdom of God, let him ask God who gives generously. God is generous in the area of wisdom to you and me. He's a generous heavenly father. And so as you look at James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If you're going to count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, you need the wisdom of God to do that. If you're going to handle temptation, we're going to see next week. If you're going to handle temptation by the ways of God, you need the wisdom of God to do that. And that's why James is giving this invitation. If any of you, you, me, lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you generously. Why? Because he is a generous heavenly father. Number two, divine opportunities. Truth of the matter is, as you and I go through life, we're all going to face trials and tribulations and adversities and struggles. But the question is, how do we see them? Well, the challenge is we need to, if we see them from the world's side, we're going to say they're misfortunes. God must be unfair. He must be against us. But if you have the wisdom of God, you don't see them as misfortunes. You see them as opportunities. Yes, I've got trials, tribulations, adversities, and struggles, but I see them from the perspective of God, and here's what God's doing in my life. You don't see yourself as a victim. You don't see God as being unfair. You don't see God as being cruel and against you. You say, God, you are giving me an opportunity to grow in my relationship to you. And God, you're giving me an opportunity to be a witness for you in the home, in the workplace, in the church, even in culture. You're giving me an opportunity that I can make much of Jesus even when life is tough. That's the wisdom of God to be able to see that. But I just encourage you to be able to do that. You're going to have to have wisdom. You've got to decide differently to say, God, I'm not looking at life by the eyes of the world. I'm looking at life through your perspective. Changes everything. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Number two, trust totally. James is very practical because he's going to get some insight here when you talk about trust totally he says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach it will be given to him but let him ask in faith you've got to trust totally if you're going to ask God for wisdom now as I think about this idea James is putting it in the context of a prayer life what is your prayer life like is your prayer life all God desires it to be? Is your prayer life all that you desire it to be? What is your prayer life? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The word ask is active imperative. It means you just keep on asking. 
I mean, you just don't ask one time and end. You just keep on asking. God, I'm asking. I'm asking. I'm asking. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. You want to see life from God's perspective. So you're asking him for that. And so again, you're going to make decisions, but are you making decisions based upon the wisdom of God? Now, when it comes to our prayer lives, do we even know how to ask God for anything? I'm concerned at times, even in my own life, God, do I even know how to pray the way you want me to? Do I even know how to ask you? Because there are times I go into a restaurant, ask for something, and I'm not even appropriate in how I ask someone who's serving at a restaurant. And so how do I come before the Heavenly Father, who is generous, who loves us, who is great, and ask him for wisdom? How do I do that? Well, I'm going to give you some words here in the beginning, that, that were words and facts that will hinder your prayer life. Number one, personal sin. If you sin against God and you just disobey him and it's habitual in your life, it's going to affect your relationship with God. It will affect your prayer life as well. Be careful about sin in your life. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Be careful about sin. Number two, wrong motives. James is going to say, many of you don't have anything because you're asking with wrong motives. You're asking for yourself. As you and I pray, it's not about self. It's about the greatness of God. It's about his will, his leadership, his direction. So when you and I pray, we need to make sure we're praying with the right motives. God, if you'll give me this, I'm going to serve you and glorify you. It's not simply to make myself good. But many people, their prayer lives are hindered because they're asking with wrong motives. Number three, intentional silence. Many people aren't seeing God move in their prayer lives because they're not asking, period. James says you have not because you ask not. What are you asking God to do in your life? And then number four, spiritual doubt. He makes it very clear in this passage. He says, but let him who asks in faith with no doubting. So when you doubt, here's what you mean. God, I know what you said, but I'm just not sure you're going to do it. You doubt the promises of God. And he says, you're like the waves of the sea, just blown and tossed by the wind. And so if you come and there's sin in your life or there's wrong motives or you're just not asking God and you're not having a conversation with him or there's doubt in your life, it's going to affect your prayer life because we need to ask in faith, not in doubt. Now, let me give you these next few words that will help you in your prayer life. If you're going to come before God, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and he's going to give you generously, but ask in faith, how's it going to help you? Look at number one, consistency. You need to be consistent in your prayer life. The more you practice something, the better you're going to become at it. Here's what I mean by that. If you want to grow in your Bible reading, be consistent in God's Word. You want to be a great witness for Christ? Be consistent in turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. You want to be more effective in your prayer life? Be more consistent in having conversation with God. He's available 24-7. He's never tired. He's never sleeping. He's never uninterested in you. He is available to you. You practice that consistency. I just challenge you, pray for this church. Pray for us who are believers and leaders. Pray for lost people by name to come to Christ. Pray for this nation in which we live and pray consistently that God will send revival and spiritual awakening in our midst. Be consistent in your prayer life. Second word is convictions. As you pray, if you want to see your prayer life go to another level, pray with the conviction of God. What do I mean? Pray God's word. I was spending time praying yesterday, praying James chapter 1 verse 5. I just prayed the word of God back to him. 
And, and, and I, I've learned so much in prayer by people who knew how to pray convictional prayers, praying the word of God. God, this is what you promised. And I'm going to claim your promise in faith, not in doubt. You pray with conviction. C is confirmation. You've asked God, you keep a journal, here's what God's doing in your life. And you just say, God, I ask you for this, and here's how you said yes. God, I ask you for this. Here's how you said no as a loving Heavenly Father. And God, I ask you for this. And here's how you said wait because my timing is just not right. You come before God with with confirmation to say when you pray, here's how God moves. Then the fourth word, conditions. There are conditions. I just encourage you, give God the best time of your day. But also find a place where you and God spend time together. That becomes a holy place for you. But also give God the best time of your day where you are consistent in your walk with him so that you're praying and having a conversation with him. And it will take your prayer life to another level in your walk with him. That way, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, continually asking him. He'll give it to you because he's generous, but you make sure you're coming before him in faith and not doubt. Changes your life. So decide differently. Trust totally. Number three, walk wisely. It's going to influence how you walk. You need to walk wisely in this life. So if I ask you today, again, different ages in this room, those who are watching, are you trusting in your position? What would you say? Are you trusting in your bank account? What would you say? Or are you trusting in the Lord? He says in this passage, James, as he goes on to say, let, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Let me give you a word of wisdom. Death plays no favorites. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we're all going to die. And he is going to return. We just don't know when. But here's what I know about death. Young, old, makes no difference. Rich, poor. Educated, uneducated. Male, female, makes no difference. Death plays no favorites. But as you and I look at life, are we walking wisely? Now, let me give you these words. How do you walk wisely? Number one, maintain perspective. And what do I mean by that? Understand this. This life is not all there is. When Christ returns, we'll be with him as believers. But if he doesn't return and you die, you're going to live either with him or apart from him based on your relationship with him. Maintain perspective. This life is not all there is. Do you know Christ? Do you not know Christ? What does he want to do in your life? You just keep the right perspective. Number two, overcome procrastination. Here's what I mean by that. When you know what you need to do in life, you know that, that's knowledge. Wisdom says, I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to delay. I'm going to obey the leadership of God. And here's what I mean. If you're in this room and you're watching and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord in life, obey Him. Don't procrastinate and delay. Give your life to Him today. You need to serve Him in life. You know He's calling you into ministry. He knows he, that he wants to take your walk with him to another level. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Say yes to God's leadership and call in your life. Do that today. Overcome procrastination. The enemy wants you to wait, wait, wait. God says, if I told you what to do, you obey me. That's wisdom. Number three, establish priorities. Make sure you have biblical priorities in your life. 
seek first the kingdom of God. I wonder in this place today, those here, those who are watching, how, how many of us, we know the people in our workplaces better than we know the people in our families? Why? Because our priorities are out of balance. Do you have biblical priorities where you're seeking the kingdom of God first and you realize what really matters in life? If you're going to walk wisely, establish priorities that are in agreement with God's word. Number four, please God. That should be the desire of every person who's watching, listening to this message is to please God. God, in my devotional life, in my time in the word, I want to please you. God, in my witness of who I am sharing Christ with others, I want to please you. God, as I serve you, I want to please you. As I sacrifice and give of time and resources, God, I want to please you. If you're walking wisely, the focus of your life is pleasing Almighty God. So are you walking wise? That's what matters in life. What matters in life? Will you decide differently? Why? Because you're, you're looking at life through the wisdom of God. Life, what matters? Well, you're trusting God totally. You're not trusting the world. You're trusting him, but you're also walking wisely. Look at number four, accumulate abundantly. Now, what we've I shared a couple of weeks ago, when you look at the book of James, there's a great correlation between James and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know you look at that and you say, accumulate abundantly. You say, what do you mean by that? Because I can go back to Matthew chapter 6. Are you talking about being rich with the things of this world? That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about accumulate abundantly is not the stuff of this world because, as James says, you're going to leave all that behind. I've done a lot of funerals. There's not been a single U-Haul in any of those funerals that I've had a part of yet. Not a one. Why? Because you leave all that stuff behind. That's not what really matters in life. And then you come to James, uh, what one, and he's talking about, again, the rich man's going to perish. He's going to leave all this stuff behind. Then you come to Matthew chapter, chapter 7, and you see what Jesus is even saying there about the wise man and the foolish man. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you laying up treasures in heaven? That's accumulating abundantly. How do I do that? Number one, eternal examination. And I want to speak right to your hearts here in these areas. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Oh, you may know some facts about him, but do you know Christ as your Savior? I was talking to a young girl, college student the other day, uh, this past week in our facility, met her for the first time. And so in the conversation, where do you go to college? What are you studying? Those things. And then I just asked her because she's going to be involved in a ministry that we've got coming up. And I said, just tell me briefly your conversion story. When did you, know, when did you come to know Christ in your life? I mean, literally on the spot. There was, there was no rehearsal for her at all. And she said these words. She said, I was saved. She used that word. And then she articulated when she was saved, came to Christ. And I said to her, if I was going to do a holy dance, I'd do it right now because I don't hear that word much saved in our day. It is a glorious word. A glorious word. And why do I say that? Luke chapter 19, Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For those who call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. It is a glorious word to say the word saved in life. Eternal examination. Do you know Christ in your life? You can be wrong about many things in life. You can't be wrong about knowing Jesus. Wisdom says make sure you know Jesus. Number two, dedicated devotion. What I mean there is in your life, give Jesus the best time of your day. Don't give him what you don't need. Don't give him what's left over at the end of the day. Give the Lord Jesus the best time of your day. Number three, strategic schedule. Make sure he is at the center of your schedule. So when you look at your calendar and your schedule, do you have quality time with Jesus? Significant time with your family? Are you taking vacation days and days off? Are you scheduling days of solitude to be with Jesus? Make sure your schedule helps you live with wisdom and shows what really matters in life. And then number four, contagious commitment. You just live out your commitment, your faith, in the presence of other people to say, God, use me, use me, use me. Let my life count. Show me what really matters. And God, let me be a witness for you in the presence of other people. Angie and I, a couple Friday nights ago, were at Montgomery Central, a basketball game. And we were sitting there with some of our church folks, had fellowship conversation together. And Philip Chambers, Brandon's brother, was announcing the game. He saw us sitting over there, and he came over to us. And we were sitting almost at the end of the court, but right on the front row. And he said, when the game is over, I just hope you don't leave. I want you to see what happens after the game. And I thought, well, I can't leave now. I mean, my goodness. I mean, i got to see what happens at the end of the game. So the game ended. Montgomery Center won the game. And then all of a sudden, students started coming out of the bleachers. Players, coaches, cheerleaders, others started gathering in the center of the court. And I want you—I took this picture. I want you to look at this picture. This is all student-led. And in the midst of being there, student-led, they gathered in a circle, finally joined hands. And one of the students, one of the basketball players, started praying. And Philip said, this started this year, but they do this after every game. As I listened to this player's prayer, it wasn't, God, thank you for letting us win tonight. Here's what this young man prayed. He prayed and he thanked God for the crucifixion of Jesus. He thanked God for salvation. He thanked God that Jesus was alive. That's contagious commitment. That's what really matters in life. Jesus. You can know all about these. Still not be wise. But you can have knowledge and say, God, I know what you said and I'm going to do it and be considered a wise person who's building his or her life on the rock, not as the sand. So I want us to bow together today and for a time here of just prayer and invitation. The good news today is you can come to Jesus just as you are. And I want to encourage those in the room and those who are watching. In the room, our pastoral team is going to be here in front. We're going to have prayer warriors on the sides. If you need somebody to pray with you, that you would just discover the wisdom of God, we'd love to do so. If you need Jesus, don't procrastinate. You need to be baptized, don't wait. You need to join the fellowship of this church, don't delay that to another Sunday. 
Do you need to carry out God's call in your life? Surrender and do it today. That's wisdom in action. Our pastoral team is here to receive you. We'd love to see you make a spiritual decision today. You're watching online. You see an email address. You just send us a message to that address. We'd love to respond back to you. You've got a prayer need. You've got a question. You want to make a decision. We'd love to celebrate with you. You can respond on any of the platforms you're on as well. We'd love to come alongside you because we want to help you know what God says, but do what God says. That's knowledge and wisdom in action. And the good news is you and I can come to Jesus just as we are. So, Father, thank you today for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he gave his life for us. Thank you the tomb is empty. Thank you that Jesus is alive. And, Father, I thank you today that we can call people to make decisions to Christ today. That's wisdom. And, God, thank you for showing us what really matters in life. It's not the stuff of this world. It's a relationship with you. And God, I pray decisions will be made privately and publicly, but those who are responding publicly, we pray again that they will come in faith, obeying the leadership of Jesus, saying yes to his call and to see their lives change now and for all eternity, we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we come to you just as we are, but the good news is we leave totally different because of how great and how gracious you are. And so, Father, I pray this today in the strong, powerful, amazing name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.